Well, if you missed uh, worshiping here at St. Andrew last week, then you missed the preaching ministry of a visiting pastor from Atlanta, Georgia, by the name of Victor Belton, uh, after which uh, several of you who were here last week came up to me and said, how soon can we get this guy back here? Uh, the answer to which is, I don't know, but I'm working on it. And uh, actually, I would like to have Pastor Belton here this week because uh, in the words of one of my seminary professors, uh, that lesson from Luke chapter 13 is one of the more difficult passages in the New Testament on which to preach. And that is because, uh, besides the fact that uh, the parable of the fig tree does fit very nicely with this year's Lenten theme of cultivating and letting go, what makes uh, this passage uh, a little tricky for this third week of Lent has to do with the fact that this fictional story of Jesus is preceded by two very tragic, horrific, and real-life events, uh, both of which take place in the city of Jerusalem, and the first of which is brought to the attention of Jesus uh, by a group of people within his much larger crowd of listeners. And it has to do with a group of Galilean Jews who traveled to Jerusalem to worship at the temple and make their sacrifices to God. And while they were there, they were brutally murdered right on the temple grounds by the occupying Roman forces of Pontius Pilate for reasons that are not described in the scriptures or anywhere else for that matter. And, you know, when, when you hear about that, you know, it doesn't take long for your mind to go to that group of worshipers of another faith who just days ago were tragically killed in faraway New Zealand. Also, it brings to my mind, especially today, the tragic death of the Roman Catholic Archbishop Oscar Romero from El Salvador, who after preaching against uh, social injustice and uh, the religious and political oppression of his nation's government at that time, was assassinated literally as he stood at the altar in the very act of saying mass 39 years ago today, March 24th, 1980, when his blood was mingled with the elements of Holy Communion. And that is what Luke was talking about when he said that Pilate's blood, Pilate mingled the blood of the Galileans with their sacrifices. That's a reference uh, to, to that murder. The other incident uh, is the one that Jesus himself brings up, which has to do uh, with the collapse of a tower in a place called Siloam, which is a neighborhood in the southwest uh, corner of the old city of Jerusalem, resulting in the accidental deaths of 18 people. As a matter of fact, it wasn't really all that long ago when archaeologists finally discovered the ruins of that fallen tower when some city workers were digging for a new sewer line beneath the streets of, of Jerusalem. And so you have this one group of innocent people who are suddenly killed by a brutal leader who has no regard for the sanctity of human life, much like the, the Salvadoran military dictators who killed Oscar Romero, and then 30 people who attended his funeral later that week. And then you have another group of innocent people who are suddenly killed in a building accident, much like people who die every day in accidents of, of one kind or another, all of which remind us that any of us can stand you know, before our maker at any time for any reason and without warning. And so the apparent 
motive between or behind the, the raising of this issue by the people in uh, Luke chapter 13 has to do with their desire to get an explanation from Jesus as to why bad things happen to people, including good people, innocent people, even faithful people. And whether these bad things have something to do with their punishment for something that they had done wrong, because that's what people typically thought about bad things in the ancient world, and some people even think that way even today. And that's why the way that Jesus responds to these issues is important to you and me on this third Sunday of Lent. And the first thing that he does is uh, instead of condemning the actions of Pontius Pilate, which of course uh, the crowd probably wanted him to do, he embarks on his explanation for their, of their question, asking them two questions himself. One of which is, do you think that the Galileans who died at the temple were greater sinners than all other Galileans? Do you think that the Jerusalemites who died in the collapse of the tower were more guilty than everybody else in Jerusalem? And then he answers his own question by categorically saying, I tell you no. Those things were not God's doing. Those things are not God's punishment. And that's good news for you and me. Because when somebody around you has a bad experience, enters into a, a bad, horrific, tragic time, when you know, there's a, a woman who has you know, suffered the assault of a man and she says, why does God do this to me? You can say, God didn't do this to you. That guy did that to you. And there is a difference. Or when somebody gets sick or somebody's in an accident and they say, why did this happen to me? You can biblically say, because accidents do happen to us. Whether those accidents take place you know, inside our bodies or out on the highway or they take place in a, in a neighborhood in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But Jesus didn't make you sick. Jesus didn't wreck your marriage. Jesus didn't plow that truck into you out on the highway. I tell you no. And that's the good news. And then just as we start to breathe our sigh of relief, he has to go and make that next statement. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Oh man, what does that mean? Well, it means that I don't know what bad things are going to come my way. And I don't know when they're going to happen. And I certainly won't always understand why they happen either. But the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is that when they do happen, and whatever they are, that you and I are right with God. Because when we are right with God, we win. And we live either through it in this life or in that far greater, better life that he has prepared for all of his children. That is the meaning of that passage. And so when Jesus says repent, 
You know, it doesn't just mean, you know, hey, go to confession, which is what we typically initially think. Because the fact is that the word repent in Greek, and I've explained this dozens of times over the years, is the word metanoia. You've heard the word metamorphosis. Well, metanoia is kind of like that, and it has to do with a change in your thinking, a change in the direction of your life. It has to do with, with getting your thinking in the alignment of God and to, to think in a way that is consistent with the most important relationship in your life so that when something bad does really happen to you, you will be able to say, you know, I really don't understand this completely, but one thing I know is that I am going to dig in, I am going to cultivate the only relationship in my life that is going to last when everything else goes away. You've heard of Luther's 95 Theses? Yes? Thesis number one, uno, is that when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ calls us to repent, he wills that the whole life of a believer be one of repentance or turning to him, changing the direction of our life to face him, to trust him, to believe in him in good times and also in the bad times. That is metanoia. And then comes the parable of the fig tree, which is a story about a man who plants the tree in his vineyard he checks to see if the tree is bearing fruit for a period of three years. When it is not bearing any fruit, he orders that it, it is cut down on the grounds that it, it's just wasting space. It's taking up space in this world. It's a story. And Jesus made it up for the sake of a sermon illustration. But like Jesus' other stories, it has a connection and a context in real biblical history, which we don't talk about very much because it's tucked all the way back in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, which has rules and regulations about almost every single thing, including, believe it or not, the planting of fruit trees. So if you go back into Exodus 19, it says that you plant a tree, you let it go for three years. And then in the fourth year, when it bears fruit, you use that fruit not to eat it, but you use it as an offering to God. Why? Because the purpose of the tree, the purpose of the fruit, like the purpose of every other thing and every other person in this world, is to honor and glorify God. And once you do that, once you've established that with an offering to the Lord, then beginning in the fifth year, you can eat the fruit or use it uh, to make a, a living. So in the context of this parable, Jesus' listeners would have known that the man who is looking for fruit for three years has planted that tree three years earlier. So he's really looking for the fruit in year four, year five, year six. This tree is in triple overtime. The other thing to remember is that when Jesus teaches in parables, he uses the things and the characters in the story to represent the people that he's either talking to or that he's talking about. So remember that for next week because I'm talking about the parable of the prodigal son uh, next week. In this parable, the owner of the vineyard is God, the Father. The vineyard are the people of Israel. The tree is us. And that's the bad news. 
except for the presence of one more character in the story. And that is the gardener who represents Jesus Christ. The gardener in the story is the one who keeps the tree from being cut down. The gardener is the one who goes to the owner, to the father, and says, let it alone. Give me another year. I'll dig into it. I'll put manure around it. I tried to find a translation in the Bible that has a nicer word than manure. I found some translations that use the word dung. <laughs> Worse than manure. Finally, I got to two translations that use the word fertilizer. <laughs> better than manure. Way better than dung. The point is, Jesus is the gardener. He's the one who intervenes. He's the one who advocates. He's the one who goes to work to dig into your heart, to bring life to your journey so that it's not a waste of time and space. He is the one who makes you right with God so that your life can be an offering to God in fulfillment of his real purpose and destiny for every single one of his children. And how does he do this? He does it by taking his place on a tree shaped like a cross until three days later he becomes, ready for this, the first fruits of our salvation so that by his offering we will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's where the whole passage starts to come together and the message comes into focus that when bad things happen, whether I caused them, whether somebody else caused them, whether it was just a straight out accident, when bad things happen, my first move is in the direction of God. Metanoia, turn around, face the Lord, confess, repent, lean on Him, cry to Him, trust in Him for everything. When uh, the funeral of Oscar Romero, the Archbishop of El Salvador, took place, uh, the emissary of Pope John Paul II delivered the eulogy, and he, he called him a devout man of God, and he stated that his blood would be the fruit of love and peace for generations. See, this parable starts out as a story about judgment, and it becomes a story about mercy. Mercy that expects a response in the lives of people who honor and glorify the one who comes to be our Lord, our Savior, our friend, and someday our judge, 
so that you can, uh, and I can navigate through the good times, we can navigate through all the bad times. And I'll tell you what, I've seen some people in this congregation, and they are marching through some horrific, tragic times in the sufficiency of God's grace because he is so deeply rooted in them. He is so deeply cultivated in their hearts, and I thank God for that every day. And so last uh, Monday afternoon, uh, when I was saying goodbye to Pastor Belton, uh, in the office before he uh, returned to Atlanta, he smiled at me and he said to me, man, this is some kind of good place. I agreed. This is a place where you can come to cultivate your relationship with the gardener. This is the place where you can come to lean on him, to cry to him, to turn to him, to confess and repent to him, to know that he is not punishing you because the punishment went to the tree on which the gardener died so that you will not perish but have everlasting life. In the good times and in the bad times, through this life until that happy day when it's only good times in the presence of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all this world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.